Well, good morning, friends. My name is Michael Kelly. It is my privilege. I'm so glad to be able to be here to open up God's Word with you and for you over the next four weeks. And as Jack has already said, the name of the series that we are going to be in together leading up to Easter is called Understudy. Now, you're probably familiar with the word understudy. It's, of course, a term that's taken from the theater, and the understudy is not the lead character. It's someone who backs up the lead character. And oftentimes, an understudy will actually know the lines and the parts for several people uh, in the play. It's a very difficult job to be an understudy because you constantly have to be ready to go. You constantly have to be able to find yourself in the drama, in the narrative that's taking place. And that's really the heart behind what we want to do here because over the next four weeks, we're going to look at probably the best known biblical narrative. It's, of course, the narrative of Jesus' time leading up to the cross, leading up to the crucifixion, and it's, it's been often told, it's been often read, and anytime you become that familiar with something, there is a challenge of seeing it with fresh eyes and of finding your place in that story. There's always the temptation for us to simply treat it like an exercise. It's that time of the year again when we look at this, at this story. So I would love for you to pray along with me that the Lord would take this season that we have together and would really infuse this with new meaning, that we would find ourselves in this, this story of the Easter season. So to begin with, we're going to find Jesus and his disciples in the garden. And I believe in finding Jesus and his disciples in the garden today, one of the things that the Lord wants to speak to us is about the nature of what surrender to the will of God looks like. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn with me to the book of Matthew, we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36, and this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go, here comes my betrayer. Now, it's been some interesting days for the disciples and Jesus leading up to this moment. It was only days earlier that they entered Jerusalem together, and when they entered Jerusalem together, Jesus was hailed as a king. You'll remember the scene, people laying down palm branches in front of him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the crowd chanted. In fact, there was such a, a fervor in the crowd that day that the, it was almost like they wanted to pick Jesus up on their shoulders and immediately 
crowned him king before them. And then things got a little bit interesting because Jesus spent the rest of the days in Jerusalem saying some pretty controversial things and doing some controversial things in all of his teaching, he seemed to call on the carpet the religious establishment of the day. And things continued to get even more strange because the disciples sat with Jesus and they ate the Passover meal just like they were supposed to do every single year except at the Passover meal. Jesus started saying some things that were disconcerting to everybody there. He said that somebody sitting at this table with him, one of his 12 closest friends, one of these people was actually going to betray him. And then he looked right at Peter and he said, Peter, you, the one who walked on water, the one who made the messianic confession for the very first time, the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before tonight's even over with. And then they go for this walk in the garden. So the disciples are admittedly a little bit tired. But what we see in Jesus here is something different that we've seen in the Gospels before. Now, we've seen Jesus pray in the Gospels before. We've seen him pray a lot. We've seen him constantly withdraw from the crowds, find time alone so that he could talk to his father. We've seen him pray and teach others how to pray, but we've not seen him in a posture of prayer like this. What we see on Jesus is sorrow, trouble, to the point of death, such intense anxiety that he's falling to the ground over and over Again, Jesus is wrestling in prayer with the Father. Now, this is the same Jesus who was okay to sleep in the bottom of the boat even when seasoned sailors thought that the storm was going to destroy them. This is the same Jesus that stood toe-to-toe with demon-possessed lunatics, so dangerous that they had to be chained up in a graveyard so they wouldn't hurt themselves or someone else. This is the same Jesus that a crowd, a mob, wanted to throw him off of a cliff and yet was able to walk through the middle of them. That same Jesus finds something that's coming so distressing. He's so anxious about it that here in this moment, he's falling to the ground over and over again. It's a way different posture than what we find in the disciples because they're napping. So evidently, what has Jesus troubled is not nearly as troublesome to the disciples. Jesus is wrestling over temptation. That's what his prayer is about. It's about temptation. And there's two questions that are at the heart of the temptation of Christ that are happening here, and both of those questions ought to be very meaningful for us today. So the first question that Jesus is wrestling with as he is wrestling in this temptation is the question of whether or not what is coming is necessary. It's what Jesus is asking. He's asking his father, does it really have to be this way? Is there another way? And he's pleading, if there is another way, then let this cup pass for me. So Jesus is wrestling, does it have to be this way? Now, on this side of the cross, we know the answer to that question, and the answer is 100% yes, it has to be this way. And we know it has to be this way, not only from our perspective, but also from the perspective of God. We know it has to be this way because we know that the wages of sin is death. 
We know that both by our nature and by our choices, we are all condemned sinners. And because we have sinned against a holy God of the universe, despite everything that he has done for us, that the rightful punishment for that is death. Eternal separation from the Lord. So unless someone is willing to take the punishment for us, then all of us are contemned to die. So we would look at that question of whether or not this is necessary, knowing what we know about our sinful selves, and we would say, absolutely, it is completely, 100% necessary. But there is another perspective in which the cross is necessary, and that is from the perspective of God. This is what Paul writes about that perspective in the book of Romans, chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that there is a cosmic problem that must be solved at the cross. And the cosmic problem that must be solved at the cross has to do with the character of God. So God is perfect in all of his ways and in all of his attributes. He's not just loving, he's perfectly loving. He's not just holy, he's perfectly holy. And he's not just just. His justice is a perfect justice. And in a perfect justice, it means that everyone receives exactly what they deserve. And if someone does not receive exactly what they deserve, then the perfection of that justice has been compromised. And here's where we get the cosmic problem. Because the wages of sin is death. The problem is that generation after generation after generation of human beings have sinned and not died. So God's justice is in jeopardy at the cross. In order for God to be God and for his justice to be truly just, someone must pay. So from our perspective, the cross is necessary. It's also necessary from God's perspective because in his forbearance, he has not yet justly committed, punished sin. So from this side of the cross, we would say the answer to the first question of whether or not this is necessary is absolutely yes. But there's a second question at play here in the prayer of Jesus. And the second question has to do with the character of God. The second question that Jesus is wrestling with is can God really be trusted? But let's not stop there because I would submit to you that that question about whether God can really be trusted or not is not just the question at the heart of this temptation of Jesus. It's actually the question that's at the heart of any temptation that you will face this week. 
Now, when we think about temptation, we tend to think about it in terms of willpower. So the question is whether or not I am strong enough to either say yes to the will of God or to say no in order to avoid something that's out of the will of God. We think about it in terms of willpower, but I would submit to you that our ability to withstand temptation is built firmly on our confidence in the character of God. Uh, so I, I have three children. I have a, a 12-year-old son named Joshua. I have a 10-year-old little girl named Andy. And then I have a 7-year-old son named uh, Christian. And uh, I think they're going to be around one of these weeks um, so that they can help destroy your church. Uh, <laughs> now, one of the things that we've done in the last several years with all of our kids at different ages is uh, they have all gone through sort of a rite of passage. See, where, where we live in Middle Tennessee, um, it's a very, very important thing to be able to swim by yourself at the YMCA. It's, that's what all the cool kids do. They can swim by themselves at the YMCA. Now, the problem is that in order to swim by yourself, you have to have the coveted YMCA armband. It's a fluorescent green armband. I'm pretty sure I could make one that's fake if I wanted to, but that, that's what it is. Our kids value these things like gold. Now, in order for you to get your YMCA armband, you have to, as a child, be able to swim the full length of a pool without grabbing on to anyone or anything, and you have to do a real swim, so no doggy paddle. You have to do a real swimming stroke. And until you can do that, you have to stay within an arm's length of your mommy or your daddy in the swimming pool. So to try to help our children pass the swim test to get the coveted armband, all of our children at the appropriate age have gone through daddy swim lessons. It's a, it's a really tough regimen. And I have scars on my neck from daddy swim lessons. You would not think that a four or five-year-old child can grab on to the veins in your neck as strenuously as my children can. And in, in looking back on daddy swim lessons, what I'm realizing is that this is as much a test of their faith in my character as it is their ability to do what I'm asking them to do. Because the truth is, I'm giving them relatively simple instructions. Things like kick your feet, stretch out your arms all the way, cup your hands, pull the water back. These are relatively simple instructions. But there's a question for that child that is trying to perform those simple instructions. There's a question behind their ability to do it. And the question is this, do I really trust that my father will not let me drown. I know he says he won't, but do I, do I really believe he won't? Because if I really believe he won't, then I will do what he says that I am going to do. So it's not just about their ability to do the actions that I tell them to do. It's also about their confidence in my character to do what I say I'm going to do. And the same thing applies when it comes to our temptations and how they relate to our confidence of the character of God. Because the truth is, friends, the Lord has revealed his will to us in largely simple terms. I mean, his book is full of his 
will, and we might pine away after the will of God for days and days and days, only to realize that if I spend as much time doing the revealed will of God as I spend wondering about what he has not, I, I would fill all of my days. I've got plenty to do with what, has God, with what God has revealed according to his will. And it's relatively simple instruction. The question is, do I really trust him? Do I really trust that he loves me? Do I really trust that he's generous? Do I really trust that his commands are for my good and not for my harm? Do I really believe in the character of God? Do I trust him? Because if I do, then I will surrender to his will. So God has done things like tell us, for example, that there's an appropriate, appropriate outlet for sexual relationships. It's between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. So do you trust him? And God has told us that today, today, that he's gonna give us this day our daily bread, everything that we need. So we should not be anxious about anything. So do you, do you trust him? God has told us that money is a root of all kinds of evil. So do you, do you trust him? Do you believe that he's telling you the truth? Because if you believe that he's telling you the truth and you believe that he is a good God, then you will surrender to his will. This is what Jesus did. Was the cross necessary? Can this cup pass from me? And the answer came back, yes, it is necessary. Okay, it's necessary. But can this voice, can this word, can I really trust him? And Jesus answered, yes. The way would be difficult. The way would be painful. The way would cost him everything. But God can be trusted. And so Jesus went to the cross. Friends, you have an opportunity this morning not just to affirm that you want to surrender to the will of God in your life, but to allow your surrender to the will of God to be fueled by your confidence in the character of God. You have a chance this morning not just to commit to do something, but to remind yourself of who God is and that he can be trusted. And this is one of the reasons why doing things like taking communion, which we are going to do today, is so important. It's because when we take this cup and when we take this bread together, we are not just completing an exercise that Jesus gave us to do. We are affirming the character of God that sent his son to the cross in our stead. That we are reminding ourselves over and over again that God can be trusted. That's why we obey. That's why we submit ourselves to the will of God. It's because we know God can be trusted. And how do we know that God can be trusted? It is because the cross validates his character. It's at the cross where God answered once and for all, do I really love you? It's at the cross where God answered once and for all, do I really have your best in mind? It's at the cross 
once and for all where God measured the extent of his commitment to us and to our well-being. So we look to the cross again this morning, and we do so through taking these elements so that we can remind ourselves who God is so that we will freely submit to his will. And so we're going to pass these elements together. I would encourage you to hold on to these elements, and we will receive them together. If you're a Christian here this morning, then use this time to reaffirm what you know to be true about God and his character. If you are not a Christian here this morning, then I would encourage you to consider what you do believe to be true about God in these, in these moments. And look to this as a means of declaration of what God has done for you in Christ. So brothers, if you would come and serve your brothers and sisters this communion. The night before Jesus was to be crucified, he had a meal with his friends and he took some bread and he broke it. And when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. So when you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup has my blood in it. This blood is shed for you. So when you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So Lord, thank you for this gift that you have given us. Thank you for the opportunity to remember. Thank you for this tangible demonstration of the fact that you have given your body and shed your own blood for our souls. We pray, Lord, that we would remember. And we pray as we face temptation this week that we would battle back the temptation that we face with our confidence in your character. Help us, Lord, to look to the cross, to remember that you are good, to remember that you are loving, to remember that you are generous, to remember that you are just, to remember that you are in control. All of these things, Lord, we pray that this would be the fuel for our resolve to surrender to your will. We pray, Lord, by your grace that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to call this to our mind this week. May it be so. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.